Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. On today's podcast, Garth Jones returns with his Ozploitation segment, Pass the Amel, as we look into the movie Mad Max Fury Road. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I want you to witness me right here at Big Squid. right at the start before we uh, get into the podcast proper. If I sound like I'm lacking energy, uh, I had my second Pfizer shot yesterday and I'm just dealing with a low-level hum. It's not a headache, it's just a little hum. Not a good hum, not a fun hum, just a, just a hum. And I also have an arm that feels like it is wearing a gridiron pad all the way from like the shoulder down to about the elbow but uh look by the way i am wrapped that i have had two vaccinations and will gladly take on board this feeling now if it stops me from a much worse prospect like i don't know catching covid right it it's one of the things that fascinates me when we talk about everything that's going on, and it seems to be about the third or fourth thing that we bring up. And I'm not discounting the financial problems and pressures that we are all dealing with. I know I've, uh, you know, lost a lot of work uh, due to this, but I kind of feel like the priority is don't catch COVID. It looks pretty scary. Um, if you're not quite sure. Uh, what it is like. Uh, check out the podcast from last year with Georgia Mooney where she describes uh, what it was like for her. And, you know, that wasn't even the Delta version. That was that uh, first wave that was going around and she had uh, a lot of uh, issues with that. So, you know what? I'm happy to be a bit dim at the moment and I'm happy to have a slightly weird feeling shoulder. That's all good. I can do with that set back now, but uh, I apologise if I'm sounding a little less, you know, fired up. Uh, I was going to try and record this over the weekend. I think I may have mentioned that in the last podcast, but I'm just feeling burnt out at the moment. I, I was lucky enough to have a lot of work throughout the year that I said yes to because I just had it in the back of my head. What happens if there's another lockdown? which happened and is happening. We're in the middle of it now. In the middle? Probably. But uh, heading into my sixth week of isolation, all I've done is work. A couple of jobs and uh, the podcast. And I think I'm a heady mix of exhausted and just lacking stimulation outside of work. So I spent the weekend watching movies. A lot of Steve McQueen. That was nice. Uh, rewatched uh, Bullet, 
maybe we'll talk about Steve McQueen. We should do a deep dive on him. He's a kind of uh, a slightly forgotten Hollywood star. Bullet. Oh, my God. It's still so good. But, uh, yeah, so I just kind of uh, watched some Steve McQueen movies and listened to some music and got some exercise in and uh, finished a book by Alex Hammond, uh, the Paris collaborator. I'm just working out uh, when I can interview him to talk about his new novel. So, you know, um, yeah, I just kind of needed to reboot a little, but I'm just had this vaccination, so I can't quite tell you if I'm still feeling burnt out or if I'm just feeling a bit blah. Anyway, enough of my waffling. Who gives a shit, right? Just get to the podcast. This isn't... (laughs) This isn't a place about suffering. It is a podcast about celebration. And uh, anyway, I, I got I was going to barely do anything, and then I thought oh, I better just explain if I sound blah at the moment. Anyway, let's bring in my mate Garth Jones. This was recorded when I was full of beans, and we are going to talk about Mad Max Fury Road and how it fits into the exploitation genre in his segment. <laughs> In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive. It is by my hand! We are not things. We are not things. Where is she taking them? I want them back. They're my property. Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Want to get through this? Let's go! Fascinating movie to rewatch. Not so because, like, I know the film. Like, I've seen the film quite a few times. But after the Spielberg Amblin kind of feeling and, and flavor that we had in the third film, this one feels like it kind of gets back to its exploitation roots, even though it is on a much bigger budget than any of those previous films. Yeah, it certainly feels a lot more dangerous and back to the punk rock sort of aspect of things, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we know there's um, little bits of CGI here and there, but, um, you know, a lot of those stumps are terrifyingly <laughs> shot in camera. Oh, yeah. I, I, fi- yeah, I fi- just... forget who the director was that uh, that Miller said saw the film. It was a high, oh god, it was a pretty high profile director as well. Anyway, he, the first thing he said was after the film stopped was he turned around to George Miller and was like, "How did you make that?" <laughs> he had no idea. And uh, it wasn't Steven Soderbergh, was it? Might have been Soderbergh. It feels like a. I know. I know he was. I know. I saw a quote somewhere was he, where he was sort of you know horrified and sort of you know said he'd have a nervous breakdown, you know, on day one, yeah. essentially. Uh, but it sounds like everyone did have a nervous breakdown on that set, though. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the path to the actual filming of it, I mean, I was keeping an eye on it for years because, obviously, they were initially thinking about 
going back out to Broken Hill and shooting them. Um, and they, friends of mine were involved in the city council out there and they had actually set up a film studio that um, Miller had um, hired out for a couple of years while they were prepping it. Uh, and then just before they, well, you know, within six to 12 months of starting the shoot, uh, it rained out there for the first time in a decade <laughs> and it was all too, it was all too green. Uh. Uh, so they had to, furi- well, yeah, furiously uh, search for another location, which is why it ends up being shot in Namibia. Right. That's so yeah, funny. But, because it was un- unusable. The desert landscape was just so verdant and green yeah. uh, <laughs> that they had to pull the plug and go somewhere else. So that was the first hurdle. <laughs> what, a, what a funny hurdle to have as well, where everyone else would... Not apocalyptic enough. Yeah, everyone else would be wrapped. Oh, this is great. Look how beautiful and lush everything is. Well, that's ruined yeah, our horrifying. movie. Luckily, it hasn't rained out there for a while now, so they can go back and do the, do the next one. Oh, thank goodness for the drought. Hey, uh, before we get into this one, though, I, I, I don't want to... Uh, it, it, I feel like it's really easy to kind of shit on Thunderdome, but it's still really important to this franchise, isn't it? Because you can see some of the building blocks in this movie coming directly from that third film. You can, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, watching it again last night, uh, you know, again, it's got, you know, those a lot of callbacks or sort of embroideries to especially the second and third films. Um you know, the little notes like uh, the, the gun stashed under the truck. Yep. Uh, that sort of harks back to the meeting the gyro captain in the second one. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, definitely uh, the aesthetic uh, uh, builds on it. There's the variation on the kids, I guess. Yep. <laughs> um, in, in the War Boys, uh, or, you know, and yeah, and um, taking Tina Turner's character and, you know, pushing out with more female characters and who actually have agency and names and things like that yeah yeah it's it's Um, it's a it's an evolution really isn't it and and what's kind of interesting is for a franchise it feels weirdly more in the bond kind of milieu than it does in like say your marvel storylines where this feels like each it doesn't feel like there's a through line. It just feels like we're hearing legends about this same character from from the second onwards. It's funny you say that. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that you're gonna we're gonna talk about this a bit more in a little while, but we'll put a pin in it. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, absolutely, it does feel like there we sort of dip in and out of this sort of uh, broader mythology. Yeah. And yeah, we you know. But now I think about it too. He does have the the Mel Gibson hair back at the start of this one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, looking like a, a poor cat that's lived with a with a with a pensioner that hasn't decided to look after it, and they've had to take it to the Absolutely. vet and shave yeah. it down. The but yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It is. It's it's like the first film is an origin story, and then from the next uh, three films on we're just hearing these stories about this guy who may or may not actually exist Mm. I kind of feel like that's that's the best way to look at the mythology of it because then that allows us to accept that the gyrocopter (laughs) turns up in the third film as a completely different character these are just you know the same stories that are just being filtered and the car gets keeps getting ruined (laughs) yeah you can keep bringing back the car and doing whatever you want to interceptor yeah run it under a truck this time whatever happens it's, yeah it's a... yeah wasn't there a comic or yeah. something where they sort of said he just found another one and it's like no that doesn't work for me you can't you can't find another that... of the last V8 interceptors <laughs> he might have found gooses somewhere <laughs> massive callback yeah. <laughs> he went home he was reminiscing yeah. <laughs> it happens to every man in his 40s goes back looks at That's the old right. neighbourhood <laughs> That's the next. Be a bit of a sad time, sad beer time. Yeah, yeah that, that that should be one of the the Mad Max films. <laughs> Mad Max reminisces. <laughs> oh man, it's funny. Uh, people think that uh, Max isn't the main character. Uh, you know, there's a kind of this pushback that it's more about Furiosa and Max is a supporting character in his own film, mm-hmm. but I just don't really see it that way. I still see it as Max's film, uh, and I just feel like Furiosa is a. I wouldn't even say she's quite a co-lead, but she's just she's she's not a supporting character, but she's just kind of like one credit down, and mm. it's important to Max's story. So that's why you need to have so much of her. Do you do you agree with that, or do you think he is a supporting character in his own film? 
Um, I think uh, I was reading over a review I wrote at the time, and I think one of the big things that um, was happening around then in 2015 was we had the sort of we were coming off the back of uh, hashtag Gamergate. Yes, uh, and you know uh, things like you know the the men's rights activism and all that sort of bullshit pre-Trump was sort of starting to fire up a bit, <clears throat> or it was you know it was actually you know in its sort of uh, probably most virulent stage, you know, people like Adam Baldwin ruining Firefly for all the nerds forever. Um, but yeah, that was sort of, I guess that was the accusation, wasn't it? Yeah. That like, it was emasculating Max because, you know, he wasn't the best shot. Right. And <laughs> all that sort of stuff where, you know, um, I think that showed an evolution in his character. You know, it's, it's still, you know, it's ostensibly his film. Yeah. Uh, you know, the action centres on him uh, and his actions, and a lot of the time you're sort of seeing him be a bit of, you know, he's still a bastard. Yeah. <laughs> who tends to do the right thing to suit his own, you know, his own requirements. Uh, but it's definitely a Mad Max film. Um, she's just a really, and obviously, an endearing and enduring supporting character because she's got a movie coming out. Yeah, yeah. But she's, yeah, I mean in 2015 to see you know cool cyborg lady you know kick his ass or like hold her own with him you know set a lot of people's hair on fire it, and that's probably exactly what they needed to see well it's funny I saw those reviews back at the time and you know these men complaining about the emasculation of Max and I have to say I laughed my ass off because I thought it was such <laughs> a funny thing to think and I also thought it was really weird that if you felt that way that you would admit to it as well and I just thought it was hilarious and in hindsight I should have taken that more seriously because I think all Absolutely. of those people <laughs> voted for Trump um, and then you had you know you know, the red pill stuff you had you know men going their own way which was just like I'm going to sit online all day because like I'm unlovable and you know we end up with spiralling down that you know toilet yeah but um yeah, but, like, yeah, the, the focus on Mad Max and then, like, on Fury Road and then a year later it was the Ghostbusters reboot. Yeah. It was the, you know, the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, uh, sad and obviously a lot of, um, you know, people have, you know, horrible things in their lives that, they've you know, they get sort of diverted on. Right. And end up <clears throat> going, you know going down the wrong paths on that sort of stuff. But yeah, Mad Max uh, certainly was one of the ones that sort of indicated that stuff was going wrong Yeah, uh, in, in the year that Trump nominated and then yeah, got elected a year later. Yeah, I know. It's like, <laughs> now when I see something that I find ridiculously funny, I don't find it funny, and I just get my back all ready to go, oh, God, this yeah. could be a harbinger of doom, actually. But also... Oh, God, a, Mo a, a Morton Joe's going to be... A oh, there it is. There's the meme of a Morton Joe with Trump's face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, also, the Max not being the better shot is like, well... He also gets one of the best scenes in the movie. You know, maybe maybe these men activists needed to see it, but I love that scene where he just goes off into the night, and then you yes. hear all those explosions, <laughs> and uh, you hear the screaming, and then he just comes back, and the girls realise he's not covered in his blood, and you go, "Oh, yeah, That's he's right, yeah. he's still got it." <laughs> like, why is he's anyone worried? Yeah, he's just taken on the blind lunatic with the like, you know, the tractor tread gar and the <laughs> yeah. He, the submachine guns, yeah. And and also, it's just a really interesting film because he's quite clearly been by himself for a long time and all he's thinking about is surviving and then ends up in, you know, he ends up as a blood bank. That whole opening sequence is phenomenal mm. and then ends up in this position where he just wants to get himself to safety and he's so inarticulate at the beginning of it and then by the end he's, you know, he's kind of... Like it's not like he's yeah, a conversationalist, yeah. but he is talking more, and uh, you can feel. I think he'd have sort of. Sorry, go on. No, no. You, you can feel a, a real progression in the character, literally, all the way to where they're going and back again. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think he's got probably a similar amount of lines to Arnie in the Terminator, maybe. Right. It's not grunting. Right. But yeah, he does. Um, yeah, there's definitely that. He's deeply unhinged and unwell at the beginning and 
Yeah, he has that, that arc that really works very nicely, even though he's still, you know, whatever he's hunting for. Yeah. He's still looking for at the end. Ah. Or maybe just peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. The uh, So uh, Eve Ensler, who's the feminist writer of the Vagina Monologues, was brought in to consult on the movie's portrayal of women. And... So I'm I'm curious to know, as someone who really loves the osploitation genre, do you see this as the genre growing, or is this now meaning that this through this Mad Max movie is branching into something different? Um, oh, you just—I mean, it's not something you could get away with these days, is it? Uh, the the original, I mean, a lot of them are hard. A lot of the films are hard to watch now. Yeah, uh, you know, in terms of the the content. Um, in terms of um, sexual violence or, you know, exploit that sort of exploitation. Yeah. Uh, I think it's George Miller and, the and you know, the, uh, the films redeeming themselves for the way they treated female characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although Thunderdome does have sort of inklings of that sort of turning around. Yeah. But, you know, we've talked about, obviously, the, the various scenes of sexual violence and just fridging and all that sort of stuff in the first two, especially. Or yeah. just female characters not having names. Yeah. So this is a... Yeah, I mean, and again, like, you know, for the film to sort of come at that point in the zeitgeist, just as the Me Too movement was getting, you know, starting to happen, uh, sort of... I mean, there's like just so much going on in it, isn't there? Yeah. Like, um, it just sort of tapped in. Uh, it's a great action film, but also thematically, it's just got so much stuff going on. Yeah, uh, especially for a film that is criticised for not having any story, it's like I don't mm. think you're watching it closely enough. Like I know, I know you can be dismissive and say, "Well, they they run to a certain spot and then they go back," and it's like, yeah, but that's being, you know. You're being deliberately dismissive when you just say yes. that you can do that about any movie. You can just boil it I mean, down to something. Broadly, the film broadly being about a demagogue who's got like a army of um, you know unthinking um, uh, you know <laughs> followers. Yeah, followers. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah just <laughs> that's a simple word, isn't it? Um, yeah, like just an army of like. <laughs> Complete, you know, unthinking followers who will do what, it, and he's he's lied and lied to them, and basically, you know, bought them off with stories of a glory they'll never achieve. Yeah, um, yeah all that stuff, you know, doesn't. It, it's clear, but uh, it's you know, it, just, it still speaks to how prescient it is and how much other stuff's going on beneath this the sort of chase narrative. Yeah, and the also the the blind allegiance as well, isn't it? Like, there is this blind yes. allegiance to the story that is being told. And... All those guys have got cancer, yeah? Well, that's what All I the think. Boys have, yeah. Yeah, like, they're, they're still pretty ripped. Oh, yeah, like... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> the half-lives are still like, Jesus, maybe... Uh, <laughs> That could be the way to go. Oh, my God. Um, it, it is yeah. a visually striking film, and also there are times where it is... One of the good things about watching the film is that I don't feel any desire to eat while I'm watching it. No. <laughs> The perfect review, yeah. <laughs> I'm having a really good time and I don't want snacks because sometimes things come up and you just go, you know what, I just really didn't need to be chewing anything at that point. <laughs> not checking the phone, not eating. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, um, in my research, I read that there's a PG-13 cut of this film and it's like, is there anything you'd be interested in? I had no idea, no. Yeah. Is there? Yeah. Okay. And, like, they showed it and, you know, they did test screenings and then it was like, uh, I don't know if this is really going to work. And then it, uh, you know, they went with the, the cut that we see. But can you imagine what a PG-13 version of this would be like? It might be me, but, like, I didn't think there was anything that confronting in the version they released in terms of... <laughs> but, yeah, I can... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I guess trimming bits and pieces... Uh, or, like, you know, probably some of the stuff that's probably a little bit too nightmarish might have been the thing. But, yeah, thinking about it, I'm not sure. Well, I, I guess it says something about me as well, because I'm exactly like yeah. you, where it's like, well, I guess you could maybe, like, 
I can't even really think of anything that deliberately happens. Like maybe it's something in the language or something, but I don't know. It feels, it doesn't feel any I mean, really less violent than a lot of films I see. No, it was sort of, uh, you know, Indiana Jones violence in some senses, except, you know, the occasional sort of cutaway from, like, a face being pulled off or whatever. But, like, most of it's in silhouette or, yeah. you know, it's, it's heavily suggested. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously, it's, you know, visceral and sort of non-stop, but, yeah, I, I can't see, you know, what any differences might have been. Yeah. Maybe the, instead of the guy playing guitar, maybe he would have been playing saxophone. Maybe that brings it down <laughs> to a PG-30. Well, they... That was a letdown. There was no saxophone. <laughs> it is. It's my one criticism of the film. Is why isn't yeah. there another guy on a on a smaller rig, just playing the saxophone? Or a post post credit sequence or something at least with a... <laughs> just that guy from Thunderdome. <laughs> Oh, I'd be totally up for that. From uh, Bartertown, yeah. <laughs> if anyone was going to survive, it was going to be that dude. I, I never doubted it. Um, In the nappy, yep. The, the, the interesting thing about, uh, especially after the movie came out, is, it, you know, and we already touched on this, it was a notoriously difficult shoot, and Tom Hardy sounds like he was a bit of hard work and has been, uh, has been pretty uh, honest in giving out public mayor culpas and, and apologising for some of his behaviour on set. Do do we get him back as Max? Because I, I, I would hope so, because I think he's great in it. Um, several, I don't know, uh, so knowing about knowing what we know about Furiosa, the, the prequel, um, who's Chris Hemsworth playing? We don't know, do we? No, I don't think so. No. no. Alright, I've, I've got a... Um, because we're, to, you know, as we were discussing before, um, <clears throat> because of the sort of dreamlike logic, I guess, of how these films work, um, I've, I had a little bit of a think about this, and I think we should reboot with an all-Indigenous cast. Ah, uh, right. With, Ar- with Aaron Pedersen as Mad Max wow. from Mystery Road. Yeah, wow. And, yeah, people like, you know, Briggs, all those great performers from, like, Clever Man and all, you know... Get if, if uh, Uncle Jack Charles, you know, just go nuts. Um, get George Miller to hand over the franchise to someone like Warwick Thornton. Wow, who made um, Samson Delilah? Yeah, a whole lot of other great. Um, uh, but he's currently also making a uh, vampire, indigenous vampire film. Amazing, right? So he's, he's transitioning into into the field. Uh, so that that's my going forward. You know, George is in his late seventies. Wow. Uh, I'm just throwing that one down. What do you think? No, I reckon it is a phenomenal (laughs) suggestion. Uh, Like, wow, that is genuinely a great suggestion. And also, fuck, if people were angry about Furiosa. (laughs) Exactly. Precisely. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is the... um, you know, this is the James Bond, you know, situation. Yes. <laughs> when they were dancing around that, you know. Um, try it with uh, Mad Max as well. I'm, uh, just as a little digression, I'm fascinated by what's going to happen next with Bond. Like, this film being pushed back further and further and further. Mm. I'm curious to know if it's going to change, um, you know what the outcome of the film will be you know like what will the box office be are people still going to be excited for it I'm guessing they will but are they kind of pushing it back because they don't really know how to progress with uh, who should be the next Bond I I would say the constant miscommunication about whether Tenet was a success or not is something that might affect them with an African American lead in that film, it's uh, the, the, the tenant stuff is fascinating because it's like America reports it as failing, and then the rest of the world says it did did really well, you know, during yep. a pandemic. And so, yeah, there's all these uh, mitigating uh, uh, events that are kind of converging on it, and I'm who knows when it's even going to come out so before we even get an well, answer. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh Cinema in general, like I was, you know, having a think about that the other day, and it was, you know, the it's pretty dicey announcing anything really. Yeah. Well, 
um, you know, considering where we're at in Australia too, um, not that we're a huge box office, um, you know, revenue driver, but um, going to the cinema here still feels, you know, like you're sort of pushing your luck a bit. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't for about 15 minutes uh, late last year, but then it obviously as things have unraveled again... Um, yeah, it, it does. It does seem like all these, especially the franchise stuff, that needs to make back, you know, three times what they made it for. Yeah, um, it's yeah, they're potentially getting pushed back and back again. Although the states and the UK are opening up, I guess. But well, the, I was listening to a scientist uh, in in America who was he was talking about the things that they got right and the things that they got wrong about uh, COVID. And, you know, of course, you're going to... you're not going to hit on everything because you're learning as you're going along and trying to relay exactly, information yeah. to so many people and, you know, I can't begin to imagine the pressure that they're under. But the thing he said was going to... We were wrong about the cinema because we discovered that COVID A doesn't exist on surfaces. It's that mm. it just... Dissipates like being outside is actually uh, a good thing, and you don't have to wipe things down. It's, it's good to do that anyway, but you, you, we didn't have to be paranoid about it. And actually, going to the cinema and wearing masks would have been the best way to have, you know, a, a, a contact with people because it means everyone's facing forward, no one's talking or eating, and you know you're still having that communal experience, but you're not you're not breathing in each other's faces and passing on the virus so okay. that's a, that's a was a fascinating thing to hear about but yeah you know and the other thing is is that when you when you do make a decision to update a character and make them female or change their uh, background etc you then have to make sure that what you create is really great and it's this might be a little bit controversial but I've really loved Jodie Whittaker as the doctor but I haven't really enjoyed her two seasons i just don't think the stories have been that thrilling and it's uh Mm -hmm. it's really frustrating because it's you know when you're watching something and you what and you're wanting it to be better yes yeah yeah and it just hasn't like i'm sure it's working for some people but uh for me i just i just wanted her stories to be magnificent so if you're going to you know if you're going to bring in uh uh, uh, someone you know with a Jamaican background, I guess, to play James Bond. You know, keeping it someone uh, in the British uh, area. Uh, you know, yeah. Make sure you you give them good movies. Go, go hard. Yeah. yeah. Go hard. Yeah. 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 Almost. Yeah. Almost. Just make sure that you've got good movies, and then, like, just if if you look at the next script and you think this is a bit average, just keep a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then when it's good, just go. Okay, now now we'll roll the dice. Give it to a nonce. Yeah. yeah. Give it to- <laughs> but I yeah. I love your suggestion about uh, an Aboriginal cast for Mad Max. Like that is that is phenomenal. Yeah, I think there's a lot. Of, you know, in terms of revisiting the you know his origins as a cop. You know, not wanting to be a cop. Yeah. Because um, of obviously all that sort of history as well. Yeah. Um, you know believability in terms of suddenly being out in the middle of nowhere surviving for you know a decade yeah all sorts of different aspects of it you could take and you know unpack yeah yeah and yeah, it'd be it'd be fascinating yeah you could really spin it off into a new area um absolutely what so one of the things that i was you know with my little bits of research was that uh tom hardy was driven crazy that the script was you know what was it like 160 pages and it had like brendan mccarthy's storyboards and mm-hmm. rather than having like your traditional script it kind of just used the the illustrations to convey the story and it, it was so much so that brendan mccarthy got a co-writer credit and i i don't know if i'm just a bit naive but aren't you surprised that more action movies aren't made this way um i know the matrix was Oh, was it? To begin with. That was um, the... There was a X-Men Spider-Man artist called Steve Scroach. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember they him. They had him... Yeah, he drew... I think he storyboarded Bound, which they made before The Matrix. Yes. And then they got him on board to do a complete graphic novel. 
of the Matrix to pit as as a pitch document before they started. Yeah. Um, uh, which then became storyboards. Um, because you know, obviously, with the Matrix as well, like it's that you know the action sequences were you know revolutionary. Yeah. As a lot of you know the car stunts in Fury Road are, um, and conveying that stuff with just the scripts would have been pretty difficult for producers to get their heads around. Yeah. Uh, so I know that I know the Matrix did that. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, you look at storyboards with scripts for action movies; they can be pretty perfunctory um, a lot of the time. Because they basically just leave it to the second unit director yeah. to go and shoot the action, or they, you know, unless you're a big name director who is known for action, right? A lot of the time they just handball that stuff off to the second unit and focus on the dialogue stuff, right? I didn't know that. Uh, but yeah, more and more now, I mean, they do 3D previs and all that sort of stuff um, to ensure that they, you know, if you watch the Marvel the documentaries on the Marvel flicks, like all that stuff, which is why the directors get a little bit pissed off is because they get handed basically a animatic of how the entire film runs. Right. Including camera movements and everything. Oh, right. And then they just, (laughs) they basically just get told to take that away and make that. Right. So there's, yeah, I think the middle ground of having like a, something like the Fury Road um, storyboard is probably preferable to that obviously it's, it's, <laughs> if you're asking someone to bring their vision yeah you know getting back to the Marvel thing it's fascinating that they've essentially <laughs> taken the way that Jack Kirby and Stan Lee worked uh, in the early days and Steve Ditko and 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 have just transposed that to movie making yep. and no yep. it's it's fascinating to like I've been um, you know even the TV series the new Marvel series are looking like the movies and there is that just kind of brand every time you look even if you say you know obviously Captain America Winter Soldier looks different to Thor Ragnarok but there is Mm. still something that keeps you always uh, feeling like you're in the same universe yes yeah um I don't want to go... I won't, I won't um, diverge from the conversation too much, but what about Sylvie as the new Doctor Who? Oh. Sylvie from Thor. <laughs> yeah, right. So, up until... Uh, so, we're speaking, uh, recording this after episode five of Loki. Which I'm about to watch. Okay. Uh, well, I... Yes. So, thank you as a heads up before I say too much. Yep. But sure. I have thought that she uh, I haven't been that excited by that character so far because I haven't felt like they gave her enough flavour I I think the actor is good but she was just a little bit one or two note for me and I feel like in last night's episode we got a little bit more for her to sink her teeth into so I feel like she would potentially be a really good doctor I hadn't even thought about that I'm still Mm. I'm still holding out for Whitaker to get... I just need... Every Doctor needs that defining episode, that episode that mm. you point to. Like, And I have to be honest, I thought Capaldi didn't quite get up in his first season either, and then he finally got an episode that was like, oh, that's... That's the episode I can point to uh, for anyone who's a Doctor Who fan. It's when he had to punch through diamond through billions of years. Like, you know, you need need those kinds of big ideas where they get to be at their best kind of thing. So I'm hoping that uh, Jodie has a, you know, a couple more seasons in her to find that, that gold episode but I you know that actor would be I can't think of her name off the top of my head but uh Sonia is it Sonia anyway yeah, uh, like, yeah. but anyway yeah. she's been she's been really good so I think she would uh make a pretty interesting doctor actually yeah you know while I'm mm. thinking of it as well my friend Tasma who is working on Mystery Road at the moment I'd like to see her in the Mad Max film I feel like I think she'd make a really uh good action hero actually you, you've really yeah, taken yeah. my imagination with that (laughs) I'm really wrapped copyright today me (laughs) yes everyone remember this was Garth's idea everyone thank you very much yeah Um, getting back to uh, I I remember that there was uh, Heath Ledger was rumoured at one point to take over he was yeah yeah Uh, so I think Ledger would have been good I always thought Joel Ledgerton you know would have made a good Max as well. Should, do we say Charlie Clausen here? <laughs> like, look, how much fun would it be if uh, Charlie was uh, 
There you go. <laughs> I know that would be his dream job. Um, you know, Reed he's Park built... do the Photoshop now. Oh, man. Yeah, come on, Reed. Get onto it. Yep. He's probably already done it. I feel like Reed Parker has... I dare say, he's probably got that one in his bank already, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. he's been sitting here for years. Will someone just fucking <laughs> say it? For fuck's sake. Yeah. Clawson's fucking muscular as well. Like, he'd... Um, you know, it, it, it'd be fun to see him running around not wearing much as, uh, as the new Max. But, uh, no, you've, you've completely bamboozled me in, in such a good way with, the, with your take. Excellent. I, I, can't, I can't think yeah. of anything else after that. Um, it's good to see the questions first sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought I'd give you a bit of a heads up with some of this stuff. So this you is know, good. Get a moment, have a think about it, yeah. Don't, uh, don't give away uh, too much behind the no, scenes no, stuff. No, trade secrets. Yeah, no, come no, on. No. Let, let everyone think you just came up with that. Uh, Off the cuff, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the scariest stunt was when uh, Theron holds Tom Hardy's head inches from the ground as his war rig uh, thunders along at 50 miles per hour. Uh, Tom Hardy's son was freaked out about the thin wires holding up his dad and asked George Miller what might happen if they snap. And, and Miller says, well, I suppose he'd go under the wheels. Uh, is This is... Osploitation at its best, isn't it? When you might not have a leading man by the end of the shoot. That's the correct attitude, isn't it? <laughs> Under the insurance, uh, <laughs> off we go. Yeah, I mean that's that's the spirit. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, so many broken bones and injuries. I, I, I don't know of it. I think there's a there's a stunt man called Grant Page back in the seventies and a lot of that stuff. And yeah, yeah, you you definitely in this day and age wouldn't consider putting your leading man. Oh. in that position unless you were pretty ballsy about your preparation and yeah you'd be super confident it, yeah there's but yeah there's so many moments now where you you know like those old films when you'd see the stunts and you know then you'd read afterwards he ended up with six broken ribs and two punctured yeah. lungs and you'd go oh yeah no 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 i get that and funnily enough one of the uh, stunts it, it's such a it's nowhere near as dangerous as an exploitation uh, movie, but it it's such a small moment in a film. But in Tenant, when uh, uh, John David Washington gets off the fire truck into the car with the part of the algorithm, and he, he gets into the car, and the car, you know, drives off, and it's just there's if you watch it closely, there's this very small. Uh, window where the car can not hit the railing on the left and get through and mm. take off with him and even that makes me feel a bit cringy every time I see that so then when I was reading about Charlize Theron not only having to hold Tom Hardy's head up from the ground but also knowing that they weren't getting along well geez there's a lot going on there isn't it and that was the sequence where the war boy was, like, driving the interceptor between the two trucks as well, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah, and I know the giant fireball probably didn't happen at the same time, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the, do, you, do you have a preference? Like, have you watched the black and white version? I have, yeah. Is, um, what, what, what do you think? I don't know that I agree. I mean, it was, his, did, he, did George Miller say it was his preferred version or was that just the way... I, I, well, I, think, I think they were initially thinking about filming it in black and white, mm. weren't they? I mean, it, it, as an experiment, uh, it's, it's interesting, but like, I definitely think that the spectacular, like the cinematography... Yeah. You know, the colour is just such an important part of the film, and you know there are sequences in there in the black and white version where things become a bit indistinct. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, it's worth a watch, but I definitely think the you know the version that was released in the cinemas is the one that you know things like the you know just the contrast between in the dust storm and things like that, just the spectacular like use of colour and yeah. light and shade, um, just doesn't work quite as well. Yeah, in black and white. I, I I much prefer the colours as well because the like I I quite like the idea of it and I I enjoyed it. But I'm with you. I think the colours are so spectacular and they look so amazing. Uh, it's maybe if I saw it in black and white first, maybe. Mm. Uh, but I, I felt like while I was watching it all in black and white, I was like, oh, that's that really good red. Oh, that's that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't I can't imagine. Uh, yeah. I saw it on, I think, much to my shame, Crown. 
right. when it came out, right. like at a midnight screening. But yeah, like I can't imagine the black and, black and white version having that sort of impact on the big screen. Yeah. That, you know, just being thrown into the middle of this film, you know, just sort of in media res almost. Yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, having your neck snatched for two hours and just having your, you know, senses assaulted. Like, the black and white wouldn't have, you know, had the same impact at all. No, I don't think so either. But it's a... It's a... Like, I'm glad it exists. But uh, yes, I'm, I'm glad... Yeah. I'm glad I saw it in colour the first time and I'm glad that that's the... The go-to, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. Uh, just a few more questions. But the uh, just getting back to, uh, you know, there's a lot more going on in the script than people realise. The even the um, Nicholas Holtz character goes on a, a real kind of growth, and it, it's amazing that even the even the lesser characters all seem to progress as the movie builds up and I think people just get overwhelmed by the spectacle and then don't give it credit in that regard yeah I mean his, his sacrifice at the end you know knowing that he's not going to Valhalla yeah <laughs> but you know he's made his, you know he's made a human connection and you know he's ready to he knows that he hasn't got long left anyway so the sacrifice to get rid of um, what's the son's name is it is it Rictus oh yeah 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 and yeah, uh, you know that's that's quite moving at that point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know his little his little moments, you know, with his he's named his tumors and all that sort of oh, stuff. Know. <laughs> Just like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, the all all of the brides have their have their moments. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, sad, splendid, like that scene with. Um, is it Angus Sampson who plays the surgeon? Doesn't he? <laughs> it um, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The scene where he does the um, the cesarean, right? Like fucking hell. Yeah, I guess that's one of the PG things. Yeah. There we go. That's uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as soon as you brought it up, I was like, oh yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. You'd, you'd cut that out, right? I mean, none, nonetheless, it's like it's pretty subtle, but it's still pretty grueling. Yeah, right? <laughs> having the you know, um, yeah, having the kid uh, removed. There's a there's a lot but more yeah, suggestion in a movie that's pretty bombastic, though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you don't you don't see that much at all, but yeah, it's still, uh, especially, yeah. I get the old trope of if you're a parent, you sort of go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yes. Yeah. No, I uh, I loved it. It's uh, it was really fun to rewatch, and it's really fun to watch on the. Uh, you know, coming off the back of the last three, because I because I'd watched it a couple of times and hadn't watched the previous movies in mm. a while. It's fun to watch them all the way through. It's a pretty consistent uh, movie uh, series, and as again uh, that we mentioned before, the the Thunderdome stuff is. Uh, I feel like it gets a little bit of short shrift. It's not. It's quite clearly not my favourite, but uh, I still think there's a lot of interesting things going on. So, w- what does come next for this franchise? Is it? It's definitely the Furiosa movie, isn't it? Well, they're shooting soon, as far as I know. Right. Um, they've definitely got... Um, the New South Wales state government's funded it, and I know that they've got locations back out in Broken Hill, so... Yeah. That seems to be... I've, yeah, the, if you follow uh, the Mad Max Museum on Instagram, I think they're suggesting they're going to be sort of trying to sneak a bit of a look at it as well. Right. Uh, getting yeah, or their, I'm sure their Facebook as well um, would have some information there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely that's that's the one that's going to happen. Okay. At this point, and the, and uh, and then another Max film. Don't know. I mean, he's he's going to be cresting eighty by right. <laughs> by the time this one comes out. Um, which is why you know you know something like my suggestion seems you know maybe the way forward if they want to keep exploring the universe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of me did did almost think that, like, you know, the the pat response to that would be do an old man Logan sort of thing and just get Mel uh, if he's redeemed himself to come back and right. you know do the last, <laughs> the very last of the V eight interceptors. Wow. Yeah, I don't know about uh, Mel. I can. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know what he's. <laughs> yeah, I I'm so able to just watch his old films up until about. Probably Lethal Weapon Two, when when the first, like I, I feel like I can have an emotional cutoff point where 
that the craziness of Mel started to mm. leak out, so I can I can still enjoy the year of living dangerously and think he's absolutely brilliant in it. I can still watch the the Max movies. I can still go back and watch Gallipoli and be totally entranced by him. And then mm. there's just a certain point where it's like, no, I just I can't justify it now because this was around the point that I knew that you were awful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I'll cop to having seen uh, What Women Want and Lethal Weapon 5 in the cinema. Yeah. Uh, but that was, that, that was the end. Yeah. 97, 98 maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, uh, uh, you've gone from being a little bit weird to you're awful. And now yes. I am checking out. Uh, just some uh, quick little squid bits for you. Just a few that I thought were kind of interesting. There's actually heaps about it, but a lot of a lot of sto- the same stories from the same perspective. So if people want to get into it, uh, go and check it out. But this is uh, these were just three things that I thought were kind of interesting. There's no profanity in the script, and that's quite a funny thing to realise. There's some made up words, but there's nothing. Yes. No swearing. So you know. Why would you? Yeah. So that would have been fine for the PG-13 cut. You wouldn't have had to yeah. overdub anything. Yeah, I thought last night I heard a muffled fuck, but maybe I didn't. Maybe it was a... Yeah, maybe that was someone <laughs> off camera. <laughs> yeah. Watching Tom Hardy's head nearly explode like a grape under the under yes. a wheel. <laughs> <laughs> just, just leave that in. And yeah, I mean, something we haven't mentioned a lot about is um, the use of sound as well. Like, yes. um, last night I noticed... Um, you know, things like the heartbeats or, like, the the sound of, like, when the gun goes off near his head yeah. and, like, the sort of the squeal of the feedback. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the use of the, the Dwarf Warrior, um, you know, the, him, the diegetic sound of, you know, when he's in action, the, the music comments on what's going on. Yeah. Or, you know, the... You know, the, you see the drum, the ball boy drummers actually are playing the music that's playing in that sequence. Yeah. And now it fades in, fades in and out as well as you sort of approach those characters and then disappear elsewhere. Yeah. Just, yeah, it really helps, uh, you know, create that momentum and just, just a really sort of, you know visceral experience isn't it yeah it's like a painting that when you look at it you think oh that's a stunning bit of work and then the closer you get you you find all these extra layers don't you and the soundscape Mm. yeah we haven't actually really talked about that but it's uh it's overwhelming at times in a in a really good way and just kind of gives you more i really love that scene from you know after the gunshot's gone off it's such a such a moment that allows you to a be thinking yeah, that's exactly what would have happened. But also, it kind of gives you a breathing spot <laughs> before it kind of gets back yeah. into it. But the the use of music as well, like the mythology of the whole movie, is fascinating with the various strands of you know Norse mythology somehow meeting up with suburban love of cars. Is <laughs> what a, yes. what an amalgamation, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another thing, I just quickly, I was reading uh, an interview with Miller where he talks. His wife actually edits it, yes. edits the films, right? And he was saying that she is the one that basically he she's got a low, lower boredom threshold than him, right? So she's the one that's making all those really audacious cuts and keeping things moving and like you know speed ramping a little bits and pieces and sort of really creating that momentum as well. Amazing. You know, even to, down to stuff where that flare sort of gutters out yep. in the sandstorm, yep. in the snowstorm, in the, yeah, in the sandstorm. Um, you can sort of see how they've sped that up because obviously she was like, "Fuck that! Let's keep moving. Let's keep going." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I thought that was an interesting aside to that. Um, if you Google, uh, there's a Hollywood Reporter <laughs> article um, with George Miller at a, doing a yeah at a film symposium, and it's a really good dense read uh, and talks about his entire career. But yeah, the Fury Road stuff's got lots of great insights in it. Yeah, great. Oh, I'll definitely go and check that out afterwards. I love that. Well, it's a real insight into their marriage as well, isn't it? Honey, mm. this is boring. <laughs> Cut. Yep. And he just keep going. Yep. yep. No, you're right. Let's do that. Um, this made me laugh a lot. The uh, a cake decorating company Wilton, who make a decorative colour mist in silver for the baked goods, is what was used for the for the chroming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess all of those actors. They might not have been chroming, but they probably all have type 2 diabetes now, right? Yes. 
Uh, I had wondered constantly what that was that they were spraying and figured it was something. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but <laughs> since the movie came out, there are now on the Wilton Amazon page 19 pages of Mad Max related reviews. <laughs> <laughs> So how's that for a little boost? <laughs> your, your little cake decorating company is now... That's fantastic. Yeah. Get, getting the Mad Max bump. And uh, finally, there was a fan theory uh, which has been uh, debunked by, uh, funnily enough, in a comic co-written by George Miller for Vertigo, RIP Vertigo. Um, yes. There was a fan theory that this version of Max is actually the feral kid grown up because he barely speaks uh, and has a music box mm. but I don't want that to be the feral kid I want the feral kid to have grown up to lead those people and lead them well yeah from the previous one yeah, yeah. although that wasn't the feral kid it was sort of the feral kid yeah yeah oh no but in the in the second yeah. film doesn't he become the leader yes. oh yeah, yeah 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 that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah so <laughs> you know that feral kid grows up and ends up being a good leader and then you know yeah, that, that sucks. That's like Dick Grayson Batman um, in some senses. Don't want that. No. Oh, yeah. Though, uh, <laughs> though Dick Grayson is my... There's plenty of good Dick Grayson Batman stories. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just, I just want original Mad Max in whatever yeah, I, 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 variation it is. Yeah, no, I'm like you. I, I much prefer this mythological world where people tell the stories of... Yes. Of the road warrior, yep. and it doesn't, and therefore it's fine if they don't quite match up. It's uh, absolutely, yeah. You know, they're yeah, all true. The, yeah, that's a, yeah. The the other uh, quote that I pulled out of that uh, Miller interview was, yeah, they talk about the sort of dreamlike logic, yep. of Fury Road, especially. But I guess if you apply that across the entire franchise, it you know helps make sense of that stuff. Yeah, but. Yeah, Fury Road especially, you know, the sort of opening of it is just such a sort of nightmare of, you know, the imagery of all the dead people that he's known and all the rest. Like, there's an interesting argument to say that, you know, all of it's based on that sort of logic as well. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a deceptively powerful opening and it's it's easy to forget amongst all the action that occurs after it. But Yeah, he's got PTSD. Yeah. And he... <laughs> You know, the flashbacks, sometimes they help him, like when he gets shot in the hand. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes not so good. That's another little aspect. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of our Mad Max rewatch. And do you want to... Uh, well, why don't we tell everyone what you've chosen for the next uh, Osploitation uh, work that we're going to check out? So that way they can, sure. if anyone wants to watch it, if they haven't seen it, they can watch it before we get to it. Uh, I thought we'd uh, jump forward, well, not jump forward, but as so much, but um, check out something uh, that's a original franchise, um, and I have to Google the directors because I really can't remember their names at the moment, but it's a film called Wormwood, Road of the Dead, that came out in 2014, Yep. Uh, which is a... I guess it's a hybrid uh, Mad Max zombie film. Right, great. Uh, and I know we're sort of, you know, probably zombied out a little bit, but this one's pretty cool, uh, pretty pretty mental. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of respects. Like, it's got the... it's got the Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was looking at the Wikipedia for just the, the concept of exploitation, and, like, there's a lot of stuff there that doesn't really fit the bill, except that it's made in Australia. So, right. But this was a recent example... That sort of, you know, and a, a new franchise, well, a new potential franchise uh, that sort of sticks to a lot of the sort of um, credos of the original stuff that was coming out in the 70s. Yeah, great. And I would recommend, yeah, it's on um, Google Play and Apple, yep. I think. Yep amongst others but yeah worth a look before we have a look at it in a few weeks time I guess yeah I watched the trailer and went yep this seems perfect <laughs> and I'll probably watch it during the day not because I necessarily get scared but geez, if you if you watch something that's a bit intense before you go to bed in lockdown it is weird dream time not nightmares. Sure is. Just weird. Super weird. Weird shit. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, it is, yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah, check it out. And uh, where can people find you, Garth? I'm at Pass the Amyl, P-A-S-S-T-H-E-A-M-Y-L on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm going to... Otherwise, I'll send you some links to some things that we can talk um, spruik later on. Yeah, I'll put them up on uh, the, the Facebook page so people can check them out. So that'll be great. Great. Uh, thanks, Garth. All right, cool. Talk to you soon. Thank you.
Thank you to Garth for joining me today. We're done with the Mad Max movies now, so we'll start to dig into other films and other aspects of Ozploitation when he returns, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, it felt like Mad Max was the best entry level for people who weren't across it, and uh, now we can kind of go, you know... A little bit weirder, I guess. Uh, In the meantime, I've posted a link on the Big Squid Facebook page where you can find more of Garth's work at Creeper Magazine. Uh, If you're enjoying the podcast here, please leave us a top review at Apple Podcasts or recommend us to people you think might get a kick out of our work. It is a crowded podcast world out there. Very different to my old podcast when we used to do Can You Take This Photo, Please, back in the day. So... Good word of mouth goes a long way, and it is very much appreciated. Let's finish today's podcast with a quote from Charlize Theron. There's only so much you can do, but if somebody doesn't give you a chance, there is nothing you can do. Until then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.